This is the download podcast from Relay FM, recorded Thursday, May 11th, 2017. Episode 3, the S stands for Sandbox. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I am your host, Jason Snell, and this week I am joined by two wonderful guests, both of whom I used to work with. The executive editor at PC World, Melissa Rio Frio, is here. Melissa, it is so nice to talk to you. Great to be here, Jason. I'm glad that you also, I wanted somebody from PC World here the week that Microsoft Build happened. That was uh, that was on my list because I am a longtime Apple guy and I I have opinions about Microsoft, but I would like it from people who actually pay attention to these things. So I'm <laughs> glad you could be here, and the listeners don't need to know more than the fact that that Melissa helped me find my cat. My cat <laughs> uh, is is my cat because of the help of Melissa and a friend of hers. So that's just a little little side note. So it's great to have you here. Also here is my erstwhile co-host of Clockwise, my compatriot at Six Colors, and the author of the forthcoming novel, The Caledonian Gambit. It is Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Keep watching the clock, Jason. Uh, I will not. <laughs> oh, man. I don't get to do that here? That sucks. And thank you. We had a, we had a last-minute scheduling conflict, uh, technical difficulties. So thank you for uh, thank you for parachuting into download. You, you, I knew you couldn't quit me. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, let's get to it then. The three best stories of the week as chosen by myself and Download Podcast producer Stephen Hackett, who's right over there, even though you can't see him. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Jason. You know, he talks a lot. Boy, that's Stephen <laughs> Hackett. Let's let's go to our first topic. Uh, I, I, I'm excited to say that two thirds of the episodes of Download that exist cover new Amazon Echo products. <laughs> um, I guess tis the season. There was a lot of action on the ambient home assistant front this week. Amazon announced the Echo Show, which is a new version of the Echo with bigger speakers and a seven inch touchscreen due to ship in late June for $230. Harman Kardon announced the Invoke, which is due this fall. That's got integrated Cortana and Skype support from Microsoft. It's got sort of the Microsoft stuff built right in to this Harman Kardon speaker that's sort of a cylindrical speaker assistant thing in the style of other ones you might know. And meanwhile, there are also rumors going around that Apple employees are testing Siri-based speakers in their homes. So there's a lot going on in ambient home assistant stuff. Now, one of the reasons I asked Dan to be here is that Dan has been writing about the uh, the Amazon Echo system, so, as it were, for a while now. Um, I thought we'd start by talking about the Echo show. Um, so we'll start with Dan. How, does having a screen change your view of the echo and does that does that make the product better if if an echo gains a touch screen i see i don't think the touch part of it is even the important part i think the screen part of it is the important part and to me there's definitely information that's better off delivered visually than uh, audibly um and and i you know it's tough because i think the the echo was promulgated on that idea that look at all this great information that you can get without having to use your hands and you can just have this delivered to you you know spoken to you and I think that doesn't change, but in using the Echo for the past year or two, 
Um, I really have found that there are times when having a screen would cut through a lot of the rigmarole of having, you know, Echo read stuff aloud to me. So, for example, this is the one I've been giving a lot, but I think it makes sense. You can ask your Echo for a seven-day forecast. And for me, it's always like, oh, I wonder what the weekend be like. And then depending on when it is in the week, like I like t- tune out while the first couple like days are discussed and then invariably come back and realize, oh, I totally missed whatever I was trying to get from that exchange. So having a screen where that information is, you know, sort of impermanently or impermeably like, you know, put up there and, and displayed is kind of a nice addition, I think. And then, and then you know, I'm not necessarily as enamored of things like... um video flash briefings which they discovered which they discussed as being a feature but being able to watch certain youtube videos my echoes in my kitchen and i this happens to me more than more times than i care to admit i will be preparing a meal and be like i wonder what the best way to cut this thing is you know like a like a you know minced garlic or whatever and invariably i have to run from the kitchen into my office because that's where the computer is and start like googling how to do stuff and so being able to be like you know hey can you just show me what the best way to small dice this scallion is or whatever or shall i don't even know see i'm this is how bad i am at cooking um and having that information displayed like here's a youtube video i found and without having to like use my hands again because i'm in the kitchen so they could be like covered in junk um is i think i think it adds a, a potential dimension there and and so to me that i think that's exciting also the possibility of just having a screen up there to display um information that might be useful at a glance chasen you will remember and melissa too i think back in the uh idg offices we used to have the status board on the ipad right up to those big tvs and it was kind of cool to like have a like just a display there with some relevant information and i could easily imagine something similar you know on a on a echo with a screen it's like oh you get up you walk out into the kitchen there it is it tells you what the forecast is you don't have to ask for any like this information um, yeah, I think I think there's some something there, and I'm curious to see how it works. Dan, do you like that better than the idea of the screen on the refrigerator that some really expensive <laughs> refrigerators have? You know, because they it, show a lot of the same information, but you can't seems talk cheaper. to them. Oh yeah, uh, I'm sure it's. I don't cheaper. have to replace my refrigerator. Exactly. Yeah, Melissa, what do you think of this uh, Amazon? Like the the product known for talking now has a screen on it. Yeah, I think it was a natural progression when you think about the fact that it says you can make phone calls too, although currently only to other people who have an Amazon Echo. But uh, it definitely adds a dimension to be able to see the person you're talking to. I personally don't like the idea that this thing is sitting in my home listening and able to look <laughs> around, but we'll you know, table that paranoia for the moment. Um, I, I do think it's, yeah, I, mean, I just think it's the next natural step. And um, I think it's ahead of everyone else on this. So You make a good point about the uh, voice uh, and p- presumably when these things are, are shipping video chat idea that Amazon doesn't have an ecosystem for this. They've actually had to build uh, a tool for this into their apps this week in fact they did it when they, they rolled these they, features out they essentially bought it they they bought some company like a year or two ago which people were saying like oh yeah they bought some co- company that does like conference calls or something and so they kind of rolled it into this and it's it is super weird that it doesn't like integrate i, I when they when they first started talking about this thing having a screen on doing video calls before they even announced it and the rumors were going around i was like oh i wonder if they'll like use skype or something right like that seems like it would make sense and no it's a totally separate thing uh, 
which is weird. <laughs> well, it's one of the things that actually appeals to me about the Microsoft uh, Harman Kardon announcement, the Invoke, which is not coming till this fall. Uh, but it is pro- presumably the first since it's not even a Microsoft product. Other companies will presumably be able to license this stuff, too. I don't think it's an exclusive. But that's got Cortana of course, but it also has Skype integration. And I thought that's really smart, right? Because there's an infrastructure for Skype that isn't, and honestly on the Google side, right? There's an infrastructure to a certain degree for Hangouts that um, Amazon doesn't have that yet. So the the Microsoft product having Skype enabled, I look at that and I think, well, that's really interesting because it's got Skype built in already. I, I know what that is. I've heard of that. And, you know, Amazon has to start from scratch or from whoever they bought uh, a year or two ago. Yeah, it's interesting. You think about all the years and money that Microsoft and Apple and Google have spent creating their operating systems and their ecosystems. And then Amazon, freaking Amazon, comes out with the Echo. You know, after putting out a bunch of crappy hardware, comes out with the Echo, you know, and way ahead of Google Home and Invoke and whatever thing Apple's doing with Siri, you know, you'd think Apple would have been first, actually, because they had Siri. Right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, but but you're right in the back. So Amazon's ahead, but in the background, as Jason pointed out, they don't got nothing. They're like backfilling as they go, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And they're like building the bridge while they're halfway across. Exactly. It. <laughs> well, it's like they don't have they don't have an operating system. They have a you know they they have bits and pieces of product. The the they have the trigger system, the API for the echo but it's not a you know it's not a platform it might become one it's kind of interesting to see that you're working backward from a product to a platform it's the opposite of how you expect this stuff to roll out and honestly you know maybe that's why they succeeded while you know microsoft google and apple were not doing this sort of thing is that they had other fish to fry and they had their platforms to maintain and amazon was just putting out products and seeing what happens and they they ended up with a winner yeah i mean the echo was kind of i think it was a surprise even for them how well it did <laughs> uh, and i think i mean that's what you kind of see with the with them building out that ecosystem now and it's fascinating to see what things they've chosen to include or not include i think the calling is really the calling is so interesting to me because it harkens back to those nine you know the mid 90s or something when video phones were going to be the next big thing uh and they never caught on right but then eventually we got there with facetime and skype etc um but having sort of an appliance computer is actually makes a lot of sense i mean when you <laughs> i always like to hearken you know like look back at like science fiction from days of yore when like you look back at like you know back to the future too where they're like this is what life will be like in 2015 uh, we'll have flying cars and fax machines in every room <laughs> um and sometimes you know those things are hilariously wrong and sometimes they nail certain little details here and there but i feel like the idea of just these ambient computing is something that we've always thought was going to be there rather than going and sitting down at a computer you would have just sort of the computer be around you and it kind of got diverted in that we were all carrying smartphones around with us right wherever we go and i see a lot of people knocking the the echo show because it's not a ta- oh let's na- let's nail a tablet to the to the table right and it's like well i think they're different use cases um and that to me is is what makes it interesting is that they're building something that is kind of like an appliance version of a computer and and thus having it make calls and just be a thing that you can sit there and say hey call this person right now without having to wade through an app or do you know find your phone or whatever i think that will appeal to some people i don't know if it appeal to everybody but like there's certainly a a 
kind of like foolproof aspect to it, assuming that it does in fact work, uh, that, that I think is, is, you know, a possibility for supplanting a lot of the PC for some people. The problem with a video phone is that it once again ties you to that device. Like you can't get too far away from the little camera in the same way that we used to have to like sit in the phone table (laughs) when we all had (laughs) landlines because, you know, you couldn't leave the phone. Didn't you have one of those really long, stretchy cords that you could like wind through four rooms? Yes. Yeah. And so, um, you, you know, I don't have any of these things in my home yet, and I'm holding off on that as long as I can. But what would be cool is if I could walk through all my rooms and just talk to someone and you know, do other things while talking to them. You know, and, and I wouldn't want them to see what I'm doing necessarily. I'm cleaning or whatever. But that to me sounds really convenient. And I guess you can do that with the Echo Dots, maybe. I don't know. That, I mean, they should have that. They should let you talk to someone in any room of the house. Just like walk around, do your thing, and talk to them. Hmm. That's cool. But tying me to a video screen, that also means I have to worry about like what they're seeing behind me. I'm not as into that. But, you know, I also don't use FaceTime. And, and I have, but I have friends who are addicted to FaceTime, love to talk to their friends and look at them at the same time. So I totally get that it, it adds to the immediacy of the call. So is it fair to say that if you have to use that touch screen like a like a tablet, they blew it? Because that's I, I, I think it, it when I look at this, I think that it is, as Dan was saying earlier, a more for ambient information and more for results than it is to like, even though it's a touch screen to like use it as a tablet or a computer would be. That that just sounds awful to me. I don't know why. It just sounds like a bad idea. Well, why would you? That, why would you want that? At that point, you have just made a stationary <laughs> tablet. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. It, it doesn't seem like it's for the UI. The UI is still primarily voice. Voice. And so I, I agree with you. If they if it turns out that like I have to do a bunch of stuff on this touch screen, then then they have gone wrong somewhere. <laughs> well, what's interesting to me is that the Kindle isn't involved in any of this. Mm. Right. And 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 I'm sure there are many good technical reasons why you can imagine how much more uh, horsepower they'd have to build into the tablet to make it do all of these things. And part of the draw of the Kindle is that it's generally not that expensive. I'd imagine that for something like the Fire TV, though, that it would be integrated where perhaps I could say, can you keep playing? Hello, lady. Can you keep playing that episode of? Uh, transparent that I was watching yeah. and have it just start playing it right it's got a it's got a video screen it's got a speaker something like that I could I could sort of see the integration th- that you've got with the Kindle now is just that if you've got the book in in text and audible form it will it, you can today have it pick up where you left off on your Kindle and it will just start reading the audiobook at that point which is kind of yeah. cool the lack of fire TV integration has always been super weird to me because the fire TV now has its own in instance of a, of lady of the <laughs> Sorry, lady. I almost said it um and but it's not connected anywhere and th- and that's kind of what a lot of these voice assistants are missing is some uh, some permanence um if i go between siri on my mac and siri on my phone and siri on my ipad it's like talking to three different people <laughs> and i don't want that it's kind of what <laughs> melissa was saying with like walking between room to room and being able to like have a continuity i i want you know essentially i want my assistant who is in the cloud and who knows everything about me and is manifest in these different, you know, instances and can like knows about them. Right. Like, so being able to say to, for example, Siri on my phone, like, Oh, start playing this thing on my Apple TV or bring up these files on my Mac. And the same way being able to say to the echo, Oh yeah, bring this up on the fire TV or, you know, Oh, I want to buy this book for my Kindle or something like that. Like that, that seems to me a no brainer. And clearly I would have to think that's where we're going, but we haven't made that jump yet. So, 
let's I mentioned earlier there are these rumors that continue to swirl that Apple is testing a Siri speaker. I wrote a piece on Macworld like a year or two ago where I I advocated for the existence of a Siri speaker because I like the Echo and I thought Apple had all the pieces and they could make a really good um, you know speaker with Apple Music integration and all of that. So the rumor is that they're gonna that they're gonna do that and it might even be announced as soon as their developer conference in June. Is it too late? Uh, is Apple too late to this party? Everybody else is jumping in, or is this party just starting? And so it doesn't matter. The party's just starting. They're just putting out the drinks now. The cheese is. Let's, let's get this party started. Yeah, no, I think so because they have such a huge devoted installed base, uh, and so many people using Apple Music and Apple TV. If they, if they can get it right, and hopefully they're taking the time to do that, then then I think that people will migrate to it. It's, it's always an ecosystem problem, right? Are you really invested in Amazon? Are you really invested in Google Play? Are you really invested in Apple Music? I spread myself around because I don't like being tied to anyone, which obviously makes things complicated um, on the back end, but I just don't want to be like all of anything. But um, yeah, I mean... The interesting thing about Apple coming, well, maybe the interesting thing really about Amazon being up with all these technological behemoths is that Amazon started by giving people things they wanted to buy, right? Books, and then suddenly, like, everyone buys everything on Amazon. And so there's a really good reason, like a really fundamental, practically visceral reason that people use Amazon all the time. And, And the technology companies you know, have come in there with music and movies and things, but no one's, none of them are selling paper towels yet. (laughs) You know, so Amazon kind of has them, uh, has them, has the advantage in being like so necessary. Um, But Apple, you know, has a very devoted uh, fan base. Now, that's how Apple can get more services revenue is if I can buy my uh, laundry detergent through them. It's services, Jason. It's all about services. And it has to be a detergent that Johnny Ive has said is the detergent to use, right? Oh, it's the one in the white bottle with no yeah, uh, no, no odor. It's odorless and, uh, no and colorless. Yeah, absolutely. It's just an Apple logo on it. Yeah. That is literally what I what I use for my detergent, by the way. It's the odor-free uh, all. So basically, it's Johnny Ive detergent. Yeah. I don't think Apple is too late on this. This is kind of a textbook example of like markets where they tend to do well is markets that have already been established and they can come in and be like, yeah, we took your ideas and we basically refined them and made a better product. Now it's tricky. It's weird because as Melissa pointed out before, like with Siri, they were kind of ahead of the game and then they just kind of sat around and didn't really seem to think about what, I mean, it only showed up on the Mac like last year, right? Which seems kind of absurd. Um, And so I think if they really are invested in doing this as a product rather than as jumping in the pool and being like, oh, everybody else has one, we better have one, um, then they can certainly make a good one and they could certainly make one that's that's compelling. Um, my concerns come from I'm not super fond of the way that they have implemented Siri on the Mac and on the Apple TV. Uh, I tend to think that it's not as useful as it could be. And they don't have the deep backgrounds that either Amazon or Google have in some of the other things. The biggest advantage of the Google Home, and I have one sitting at my desk here, is the search functionality. Like if you basically ask it for something like that you would type into Google, it will give you a response. And not, and oftentimes, you know how when you search for something on Google sometimes and it calls it, it like has a little call out box at the right. top where it's like, oh, we think this is your answer. It'll read that aloud to me. 
Uh, and that's actually pretty handy in a lot of circumstances because if you try the similar thing with the Echo, it'll just see like, oh, I can't really answer that. Or it'll try to find an answer if it's like sort of a short, pithy answer, but it can't always get like an actual answer to it. But it does have the big shopping bench, as Melissa was saying, like, you know, the the fact that you can purchase like all this stuff, you know, certainly has an advantage for some people. And so the question is, what is Apple's major advantage? Is it the ecosystem that they can tap into other devices? Well, they haven't really shown an ability to do that with Siri on any of their other devices right now. Um, is it just that they'll make something that sounds really good, you know, be a really nice speaker? Well, I mean, you've got like Harman Kardon getting in the game here. They make pretty good speakers. Mm-hmm. So I, I it, it's unclear to me exactly what they're bringing to this other than feeling like this is a missing piece of the ecosystem that we need to, we need to have. So, Melissa, it sounds like you're holding off on the whole the whole scene here. But uh, Dan, Jason, what about you guys? Do y'all have uh, a new Echo on its way? I pre-ordered one just because I've been writing so much about it that it seems to me to be a solid investment. It doesn't ship till the end of June. So if Apple does announce something at WWDC, that might be kind of an, a... I might have to weigh that a little bit and try to it's figure a, out... a whole shelf of them. <laughs> I, I mean, to go with the Google Home and the two Echoes I have, yeah, I feel like I'm starting to get outnumbered here and that's a little worrying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your, your apartment's not that big, Dan. It, it's a Skynet situation, Jason. Yeah, yeah they're just wall-to-wall uh, echoes. I, I have also pre-ordered one, partially because, yeah, I want to write about it, and also because I was thinking how um, I've got, like, uh, old music players that I don't even use as music players anymore, but they've got a, a server that runs that can I can put my uh, I can put the time and, like, the temperature <laughs> from my weather station in, in various places in my house, and it's really great, but they're long in the tooth, and it's sort of pointless that I'm still using them, and I thought, what I really one is something a little that I could glance at that shows me sort of time and temperature um, internet connected and then they announced this product and I thought oh that might actually do it that might actually be the the thing that I can have in in my uh, living room that I can look and 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 see time and temperature um, attached to some you know internet weather service so yeah I I think I might uh, I think I might like it and I hope the speaker is better because I'd love a little better speaker in my kitchen too so yeah we're in we're in Steven two out of three All right. There you go. Yeah, me, me, me too. Uh, over some complaints of my spouse, she wasn't super enthusiastic about having a screen in the kitchen. I've not told her about the video conferencing yet, so I was trying to work that in. <laughs> some deny everything. Uh, yeah, that, I, the, the look was a harder sell for me, yeah. like in terms of trying to figure out because a that's not something for me, and also because my girlfriend has expressed like no cameras in that area at all, and so. The video, again, the video conferencing thing I haven't mentioned yet, but it's like the kitchen. It's fine. Just a little, little electrical tape, right? Uh, cover yeah, that, cover exactly. that right up. Nobody will, even, nobody will even notice. Nobody will know. All right. Um, great topic. Uh, I guess tune in every week when we talk about voice assistance. <laughs> that seems to be the way it's going. Hopefully not. We'll take a little break there for a week or two. Voice assistance is big. Voice it is big. Voice assistance is really, really interesting. There's a lot... It's- Going on. Voice assistants are so hot right now, Jason. They are. They are. In in fact, you may tune in some week and it will just be the voice assistants doing my, they'll be my guests. (laughs) My guests will be Siri, Cortana, and Alexa, and that'll just be how it is. Uh, But not yet. This episode, by the way, we have a sponsor, another momentous occasion. Uh, we do have a sponsor. This episode of Download brought to you by Text Expander from Smile Software. Text Expander for Teams is a productivity multiplier. You get a shared knowledge base that you can share across your team. You can ensure, ensure your team is communicating quickly and accurately. With Text Expander, all of your team's common replies can be worded by your best writers and then made accessible for them to use in customer communications or even team communications. They're immediately accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. The 
response they need is just a couple of keys away, and it's exactly the response that you want them to be able to give. And any changes you need to make are updated seamlessly in the background. So if you need to adjust something about your corporate messaging, let's say, you make a change, it syncs to everybody's devices, and then all future uses of that shortcut uh, text clipping are what you just updated, which is pretty amazing. Text Expander is available on platforms your team is on. It's on Mac, yes, of course. It's on iOS. It's also now on Windows, too. April is the first anniversary of the new Text Expander. In that time, the Text Expander crew has added team statistics, group notes, public groups, monthly activity reports, the Windows app, tons of client software updates, and a whole lot more. So congratulations to Smile and Text Expander for hitting this milestone. We wish them every success in the coming years. Go support this awesome team yourself and celebrate the anniversary at textexpander.com slash download FM. That's textexpander.com slash download FM. Thank you to Text Expander from Smile for the support of Download. You're our number one sponsor. Like, literally, you're the first sponsor. Thank you, Text Expander. All right, next topic. I wanted to talk a little bit about Microsoft. And again, thanks to Melissa to rep- repping uh, PC World here. It's good. I appreciate it. Um, the Microsoft Build Conference was held this week. It's still being held in Seattle this week. By the way, Microsoft, what's with the 8.30 a.m. keynote specific time? You're, oh, my I, goodness. It was 8 a.m. yesterday for the yeah. first one. What? I mean, and it's on the West Coast. They are making, I mean, I guess they're using wow. their conference center time effectively, but they're making their poor attendees get up way too early. Um, anyway, lots of announcements from Microsoft. Um, new Windows update that's uh, got a lot of cross-device handoff stuff on it that's pretty cool. Uh, f- the fluent design language with a lot of transparencies and blurs. Um, so many different platforms supported. Lots of demos on iOS. There was Linux. There was Android. There was Mac. There was uh, a lot of stuff beyond just Windows. Um, not quite sure where to start here because there's a whole big uh, a whole big chunk of it. Melissa, what do you think the most interesting thing Microsoft has announced this week is? I would say that uh, while the Fall Creators update in general is intriguing, that StoryMix app that they introduced in the keynote this morning is super cool. So if you didn't watch the keynote because it started at 8.30... <laughs> Story Mix is a new app that lets you um, blend video and photographic and three-dimensional imagery to make a little video show. And the example they showed was really cool because it was actually combining video from multiple people, you know, some parents at a soccer game, everyone's photographing their kids, that you can actually, um, you know, like mash all those videos together, pick out the parts you want, you know, pick your daughter, pick someone else's daughter, pick the one who's the top scorer and make a video oriented toward that kid because you've, um, you know, the video app recognizes the kids and can, you know, that's a little creepy, but it does like, is it, Oh, you want a video about your daughter? Okay. I'll just pick out all the things on her. So, and then um, introducing 3d images. So Microsoft has this publicly available library of 3d images and they showed another video where someone inserted a Tyrannosaurus Rex that chased them across the soccer field. And they could do that because this app let them just plunk that T-Rex right in there. So, you know, um, Google has some amazing photo capabilities with Google Photos. Apple has some amazing photo capabilities. But being able to make a video out of multiple people's videos and put in other stuff and flames and dinosaurs 
That is cool. This definitely seems to be some sort of an arms race happening where everybody realizes that making the uh, making the shareable video is the end goal of most of the capturing that happens and that you need to bring as much technology to bear as possible, whether it's uh, Snap or Instagram or like Apple's Clips app that they released or what we've seen with Windows um, Story Remix, the, the idea that, that you can... Um, the, the, the end result is a super awesome shareable video and that we should use all of our finest scientists on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, that, it's interesting because, you know, I think it solves these problems of... We've talked about this in the past, but the idea of you take so many pictures and, like, what do you do with them? Do you go back and look at them? And, like, the answer is, well, you create something that you can share with other people. And so, as I, I did not see the keynote this morning, but I was just looking at some of this right now. And it's, like, that's pretty cool, especially the 3D stuff, frankly, is is really cool. It reminds me kind of of the um, – what's the – there's an iOS app. It's, like, the Action Movie app or whatever, which has, like, little, like, special effects scenes that you can, like, overlay on – it's kind of like AR stuff where you can, like, overlay it on video that you shoot. But this seems to, like, take it to the next level. Um, and, and social media has given us a great, like, finally a great place to output all these things that we're like, oh, if only I felt like I had someone who would actually care to watch this video I just made, you know, like this, this little gaggy video I just made, (laughs) that'd be great. Oh, good. Social media. There's lots of people out there who may or may not want to watch this. So that seems, seems really cool. I love the, um, yeah, they did that example of like the soccer ball that like, uh, bursts into flames as, yes. as it gets kicked and and leaves a fire trail and explodes and all that and it's like you know that the fact is the people they've been trying to do this stuff for a while and the tech just keeps getting better of auto editing and auto laying out and making titles and and now being able to sort of like do image detection where you could actually overlay 3d stuff and all that and I, it's it's I, I think we're always going to be chasing that thing that makes our shaky cam video look like a Hollywood trailer, but it's not. And, and yeah, is it trivial? Yeah, in a way it is. But on another level, isn't maybe this is the end result. Maybe this is what we really want is we want to share fun stuff that we witnessed or we wish we witnessed with with friends. And so, I mean, I can joke about having it be our finest scientists working on how to make a soccer ball, you know, detect a soccer ball in a video and make it explode. But uh, the fact is, yeah, that's that's the fun of sharing. Some of the most important things, some of the biggest companies and biggest business developments on the internet in the last 10, 15 years are about sharing photos, right? I mean, that's... Mm -hmm. And sharing other information with people socially. So it, it makes it, it makes sense. And also, you know, Microsoft stepping up the first party app game with with an app like that. What do you think about the um, I mentioned the cross device handoff? I thought this was actually one of the interesting things. The idea of this Microsoft graph and or Project Rome and the idea that you've got uh, a, a, a focus on moving from device to device. We've seen like Apple did this a couple of years ago among their own devices, but it's interesting to see Microsoft take this approach too, where they, they want, uh, with this new update coming this fall, they want you to be able to pick up from a different computer, from a, a, a tablet, from an iPhone, and, and then just like know exactly where you were and be able to load the files and, and work on the fly. And it's, it's really, um, it's really interesting to see Microsoft go in that direction where they just want to be, they want to be everywhere. And also they don't really care if you're using, I mean, an iPhone or an Android phone because Windows phone is not going to happen. What, what do you think yeah. about the sharing features, Melissa? 
Um, that is my uh, other number one favorite mm. thing. Um, now, one, Microsoft, as you pointed out, doesn't really have a choice because no one's using Windows Phone. They can't lock you into their ecosystem because there ain't one. But um, but uh, it's also, I think, realistic. A lot of people you know, are going to have a Windows PC or a Mac at work and an iPhone mm. or an Android phone. And uh, as someone who uses a lot of cloud services, um, I do get irritated when I have to launch this or go over here and sign in or do some fingerprint or whatever to say, yes, this is me on my phone again. <laughs> Stop bothering me. You know, and then having to go find it again on my computer later. It's If they can do this, um, then yes, that makes it more seamless and uh, in, in a more, it's, it's a different angle on, on incredible convenience in the same way that the, that the story app is an incredibly convenient way to make a fantastic video that you want to share. You know, this is something that will just make it so easy to, you know, really end up using Microsoft products, but just, you know, who cares what the device is, use whatever device you want. Uh, people don't like me, especially Apple uh, people don't like me mentioning it, but the the numbers, just the sheer numbers suggest that more iPhone users have Windows PCs than have Macs, right? That's just oh, because of the yeah. way the world works. It's almost certainly mm-hmm. the case. And so, yeah, if you're Microsoft, that's a, that's a great opportunity to let your, your services, and obviously Satya Nadella, a big thing with him is about Microsoft being the services, being the glue that holds a business together and holds people's uh, working lives together. And so why not have it be that way that when you're on your iPhone, your Microsoft services are there and then you go to your PC. It's it, it's uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's just a very different Microsoft than maybe we saw when Windows Phone was being pushed. Right. Well, I mean, to your point, 99% of people who own a Windows PC have an iPhone or Android probably, right? Uh, Certainly. Uh, and and so it makes sense from a Microsoft's point of view to make that transition to, you know, being a software and services, like really emphasizing that when it comes to mobile, um, because they don't have a lot of options, as you were saying. So making their stuff work better and better and more attractive, and especially because I think their main competitor in this space really ends up probably being Google, um, because, you know, Google does make a lot of similar products in terms of like office suite that kind of stuff and like being able to say like we can span all these platforms and google has done a really good job of trying to make itself sort of a good citizen on these other platforms and so microsoft sort of following in that in that footsteps and trying to say hey we're we're not only we're going to exist on these platforms but we're going to try to really leverage that into making our products as as good as they can be by making it so easy for you to pick up where you left off or by making you it easy for these products to coexist I mean, you know, in some ways it seems like it's kind of the only game in town, but it also, you know, they could, they could like cross their arms and sit in a huff and be like, no, we're going to make everybody <laughs> use our stuff. But that, that, that makes no sense. No. The, fa- the fact that Microsoft owns the Swift keyboard is nice, um, right? Right, because that one of the features that they that they're talking about is a cross device clipboard. And I remember thinking, well, how how do they do that? But if you're using Swift keyboard on Android, um, you will pick up the clipboard from your. Um, from your uh, PC, which is a and, mm. and vice versa, which is a it's a really smart use of of that Swift keyboard. So they're they're thinking about being in all of these different places, which I think is cool. I like the timeline view. That was another thing that that uh, 
you know, the idea there is that you're going to be able to see what you've been working on and you can kind of scroll back and see like your activity and it's across your devices, which is really smart that, that just because I opened that web page or, or that app on my phone doesn't mean that I don't care about it in the context of my PC. Well, Ellen, how does that compare to the Apple analog, which I know nothing about, but I know it exists? Uh, it's it's similar, but it's not it's not quite the same. That like Apple will remember what web pages your devices are on, and you can have a shared history and all of that. Um, and Handoff will let you sort of go straight from one device to another, where you can say, "Well, I've got this email open, or I've got this app open here, and now I'm going to open it over there." But it, it, the Microsoft demo seemed a little more broad than that, where it was saying, here are your documents and pages and other things that you're editing. Um, and they can do that, right? On I- iOS, they don't, are not the platform owner, but they, if you're using Office apps on iOS, then it can know what stuff you're working on through Office, and then it can sync that stuff. And Apple isn't going... I think not that far where if like I, I can't go somewhere and have it know that I had a pages document open on my iPad. Yeah. So handoff has been always kind of a mixed bag in that way because there are features. It, a, it encompasses a ton of different features and B, not all those features are equally well implemented. So for example, it is very handy that I can go to my Mac and start typing in a URL and being like, oh, I was reading this thing. Even if it was something that I don't have open on one of my other devices, the history does get synced. And so I can be like, oh, I was looking at this thing. What the heck was that? And if I start typing it into like the search bar in Safari, it'll be like, oh, this page that you looked at like three days ago on your iPhone. I'll be like, yep, that's the one. Um, And so for stuff like that, that's really seamless. It works really nicely. Um, The shared clipboard on iOS and the Mac, I almost never think about it. Like I've tried it and it works, but because there's no UI or anything to it, I forget it's there. And so I just don't use it. And then the ability to open other apps on like, you know, I've got this app open on my phone. I want to look at this on my computer. I just, for whatever reason, I never do that either. So, I mean, in, in some of it, it's just like, if it's not gonna, if it's not there in a way that makes sense organically for you to use, you're not going to use it. And so, you know, it seems like Microsoft has some ideas on how to like make that a little more front and center. I don't know, but like it, it's, it's a good idea. It's the same sort of thing we were talking about before with the, you know, echo stuff following you from room to room or, or what have you like this idea of presence, right? Like I have all these different devices, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm generally only present on one, maybe two at a time. And so knowing where I am and how to react to that and like how to make it continuous between all my devices, I think that's another big thing that we're going to, to have to start dealing with as we end up with this multiplicity Mm. of devices. Melissa, what do you think about um, about the Windows 10s stuff? And I mean, specifically, the Windows 10s will only run apps from the from the the, the store, Microsoft's yes. uh, uh, App Store. Um, what what's the so uh, Microsoft is really pushing the App Store? They 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 got big applause for putting iTunes in the store, which I you know is the most <laughs> applause you're ever going to get for iTunes anywhere. Um, but what, what's your, what's what you know what do you think about that? That they're definitely making a, a big run to making they want that that store to be full, and if you want to run those apps on on a on the new Surface laptop, for example, which runs Windows 10 S, you're going to need to your apps are going to need to be in that store. They kind of came to it from a from a sideways direction because what they really needed is they needed um, an answer to Chromebooks, right? So Chromebooks right. and the Chrome OS, so inexpensive, so simple, so easy to manage, so secure compared to trying to run Windows in a, in a classroom. So that's why Chromebooks uh, dominate. They have over 50% of the classrooms uh, in the U.S. compared to all you know Windows and Apple. 
So um, Microsoft needed to get back in the game. Um, so they needed to make something Chrome-like. And they needed to be able to sandbox things, and they needed it to be really simple. So that's what Windows 10S was made for, basically. They didn't want to do it. They had to. Um, and it's not something that you or I or Dan are ever going to use. We're not in the school, and we can more or less take care of ourselves and be reasonably responsible. But, you know, those damn kids, you got to <laughs> keep them in line. So, um, so yeah, so Windows 10S was made for that very specific purpose. And actually, I think one of their big mistakes is that they named it Windows 10S. And there are so many words that start with S that you can use to mangle the meaning of the name. And they really should have picked Q or X or, you know, something else. Because um, everyone, every, believe me, around the office, it ha now has, it has so many names that start with S now. So many. Oh yes. my! So, the S stands for yeah. speed. No, it stands, stands for so many names. <laughs> so That's many what it names. stands for. <laughs> wow! But uh, yeah, they had to do it, and they had to come out with these cheap laptops that again would only run on Windows 10 S. The the mystifying one is is the Surface laptop because it will come with Windows 10 S, but it very clearly can do so much more. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think they, you know, had to do it for other reasons and we can scratch our heads and then go buy one and Windows 10 Pro on it. <laughs> but, um, uh, cause you know, why, why would you, <laughs> why would you stay in Windows 10 S unless you had to, but that's, that's the whole point. But Microsoft really wants to make this, this app store a thing though. I mean, it's almost yeah. like 10 S is, is, is part of the strategy to say, we really want to be able to have a more controlled curated store for software that, that people can, you know, if, if you want a PC that has that turned off, then so be it. But we want to create that environment where it has to be in the, in the store, which is 10 S. Sounds so familiar. It does sound familiar. Where did you get that? Familiar. <laughs> I mean, Lockdown it, it may help. <laughs> it may help because office is going to come to the windows store and everyone needs office. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess you know, you're going to start with these young impressionable kids who are going to only be able to go to the windows store. If, I'm sure they're going to try and figure out what's there. But. So here's a question from someone who does, isn't as well versed in this. Does this does this like solve a lot of potential security problems too? Because obviously windows has been a huge target for viruses and malware if stuff is locked down does that mean that this will be that will be less of a concern that's a great question dan hey thanks and one of the many names that we've made for windows 10s is windows 10 sandbox because yes it's supposed to be more secure for huh. kids for, for the kids windows you know 10S. for kids well i mean and hey i wouldn't mind that i mean that's that was always the big argument on the ios side certainly is like we lock it down therefore nuts you know stuff can't run on it that isn't approved and you know yep. the same thing on the mac when you turn on the mac app store only option you know that that's there is a benefit to that and and windows certainly has been because it's such a huge platform has had so much attention on it in terms of security over the last 25 30 years you know and so True. it strikes me as surprising in some ways that they haven't done that until now <laughs> but yeah it's it seems like a smart decision for for at least that didn't have to because there were no Windows Store apps. And, you know, it wasn't worth it to make malware for Windows Store apps because no one was using them. Mm. Whereas, you know, I think Apple, obviously, you know, the right move in being so controlled, controlling over their app store to try and keep that out. And Google is the, the textbook example of why you really have to do that because, you know, so many Android apps are terrible mm -hmm. and unsafe. So, so, yes, theoretically, these Windows Store apps will be safe. And, and Windows 10s will be safe. 
All right. Well, Microsoft's doing a lot of interesting stuff, and it's always interesting to to get up at eight in the morning and see what Microsoft <laughs> is up to. And uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot more for us to talk about about uh, Microsoft. What other shenanigans Microsoft's going to get into next? But uh, <laughs> it's a good good conversation. It's I, I love that uh, Microsoft's doing interesting things, and and they they bear watching on a bunch of different fronts. Um, so let me take a break to remind you where you can find us. Tweet at us. We love to hear from you at underscore download FM. That's where you can find us on Twitter. You can visit us at relay.fm slash download. There's an email link there if you want to send us feedback. And if you've got a, a story suggestion, something you want us to look at for consideration for next week's story list, you can just use the hashtag download stories on Twitter. And we have a little spreadsheet full of those and we check those out too. So thank you for making suggestions. Now it's time for the story you might have missed. That's when I tell you about something that might have flown under your radar, but is worth mentioning. There was a great story this week from Ron Amadeo of Ars Technica about Google's new Fuchsia operating system. It's an open source, real-time operating system that uh, was previously announced, but now it has a new and reportedly wacky user interface on top of it. What's most interesting about Fuchsia is that it's not based on Linux, unlike Android and Chrome OS. Apps are written using a cross-platform developer kit that uses Dart, which is Google's reboot of JavaScript, unlike Android, which of course uses something that is like but legally distinct from java early (laughs) don't call larry ellison now early ui concepts are the equivalent of sketching on the back of a napkin there's probably not much to take away from the fuchsia ui concepts now it's like a big list of apps and some google services but i think it's worth reading ron's story at ars technica because it does make you wonder if fuchsia's ultimate destination is the next generation Google operating system, something that would replace perhaps both Android and Chrome as we know it down the road um, with this new platform that's got a version of, you know, basically JavaScript-based thing called Dart that can run at high speeds. Um, It's interesting, sort of Google working out in the open at what might be a future non-Linux-based platform that could replace their other operating systems or not. I mean, it's all to play for, but I think it's an interesting little uh, interesting read about what Google might be doing for the future of mobile operating systems. So check it out. Uh, one more topic I wanted to cover in this week's show, and it's this. Um, rumor has it that U.S. officials are, as we speak, meeting with officials from airlines to possibly restrict the use of, quote, anything larger than a smartphone on U.S. bound flights from Europe. Now, everybody, please stand by as I beat my head against my desk for a little while. <laughs> it's a really good podcasting. But uh, good grief. This is something that obviously there was already a ban in place from various Middle Eastern destinations to the U.S., but now it sounds like it's possible that European travelers to the U.S., anybody flying on a, a flight from the U.S., uh, from Europe to the U.S., is going to have, I hope you've got a lot of stuff loaded on your phone because that Kindle, that tablet, and that laptop are going to have to get checked into the baggage area underneath the plane. It's not good. I sense a, a rumbling from Stephen Hackett. <laughs> you, f- you felt the, the force. I felt the force. Yeah, You know, my business partner at Relay, the, the network we're on, uh, lives in the UK. And he comes to the US like half a dozen times a year, if not more, you know, 
and he's making that that fight for work just over and over and and you're talking to him about it you know he he spends that time uh working you know especially trips that are out to the west coast you know london to san francisco is an all-day deal and that's a lot of time for work that we're going to lose and and or just you know a lot of time of entertainment not staring out the window or staring at your phone so I think it's you know when we get into how, what you guys think about it. I think it's a little nutty, but I think there are going to be a lot of people, business and otherwise, who are affected by this uh, in a in a hugely negative way. the The single best part of this story to me is when they point out that the problem is going to be now they have to deal with the fact that there are all these lithium ion batteries in the cargo hold, yep. which of course could potentially catch fire at any time, and yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, having you've now turned your plane into potentially a giant explosive, yeah. which seems really unwise. <laughs> it is. It's they're so worried about the bomb that they're creating a bomb. Yeah, that I to me, to me, I, I far be it from ever wishing any plane flight to go wrong. I also fly a lot, and it, the idea of that is certainly terrifying. But the first time something goes wrong in the cargo hold with one of those batteries. There's going to be a lot of fingers pointing around, and no one's going to want to take the blame on that one. Yeah, I, I do wonder if they've done the anal- the threat analysis about what it would take if you moved all of those thi- all of those batteries into the compartments. What what op- what chances? How it increases the the chances of this? Um, obviously, there's some intelligence here that is suggesting a plot might be going on or might have been considered to maybe assemble a bomb out of the component parts of things hidden in laptops or something like that. But, um, but short of just banning saying you can't travel with your computer anymore, (laughs) right? I mean, there there are, there are trade-offs here. There are, there are lots of issues and, and I'm, I'm still unclear about what the, what the, what the threat is because things, if you, if it can explode in the, in the uh, passenger area, it can explode in the baggage area too. Yeah. yeah. There's a whole bunch of weird calculus that I'm sure they're trying to do there, but it, it just seems, you know, especially with all the, the fallout we've had from bad airline PR recently, like this is just going to make nobody happy, right? Like the people aren't going to be happy. And then thus that's going to trickle down to all the flight attendants aren't going to be happy. And they're going to complain to the airline. The airlines aren't going to be happy. And you're just going to end up with a lot of really dissatisfied people. So to me, I feel like the only really smart decision here is if you're going to take away all those things, just bring smoking back. <laughs> the, uh, that'll fix all, that'll fix everything. The, the, the problem is that what, what happens is that they make changes to the security procedures based on a specific threat, and then they, it never goes away. So one guy right, like tries to light water. his shoes on fire, and now you can't wear sh- shoes through security in the U.S., and that's never going back back right unless you pay to btse pre or something like that and that's that's one of my concerns here what about both of you like melissa so you you know you're presumably using laptops and tablets and kindles and things when you're on a on a plane right yes so what would you do what would happen to you if they said nope you've got to check all of that what would what (sighs) would your strategy be well i guess i would bring a book (laughs) (laughs) publishers at last good news for print publishing (laughs) Book publishing is actually doing very well. Uh, this could um, motivate a huge spike in phablets. Is this like, this is a phone? It's got a seven-inch screen, but it's a phone. 
I had that thought when Stephen mentioned um, Mike Hurley, his business partner. I thought, well, at least Mike's got the iPhone 7 Plus, right? I I had that same thought of maybe I should get a larger phone if I ever need to travel from Europe. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's 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 very unhappy making for everyone. I just don't like to have my laptop leave my proximity. Right. I don't want to I don't want to put my laptop in a in a suitcase and check it into the plane. That's terrifying. Oh, God, no, no. No. And so, you know, I I read in the story that on one of these um Middle Eastern Airlines, they very carefully pack it and you know, met, but can you imagine the inventory control issues? You know, and and oh my God! I mean, I just don't even want to think about it. No, don't take my laptop away. They just run it, run it. I I would be happy, just let them run it through as many scanning machines as they want. That's what they should do. If you want to bring your laptop on board, we're going to run it through a million scanners, and then you can do it. I just I I'm so skeptical about the whole like, I don't know. I I guess there are specific threats here, but the idea to me like an iPad Air is pretty small. The idea to me that you can get an explosive device in there seems. I mean, impressive, I guess, is not the quite right word, but, like, I'm kind of surprised that that, is, that that is a possibility. Like, a laptop, okay, they're big, they're bulky, you know, I guess that's a possibility, but, like, iPads, man, small, pretty small. Yeah, small like, and sealed, and I remember back in, like, 20, 25 years ago, uh, taking electronics through security, they would do things like, have you turn them on to show yeah, that yeah. they are functional? Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. quite honestly, there's no way you're stowing stuff inside an you iPad and having it still yeah. be functional, right? So, <laughs> I, could, yeah. I could see lots of things. That's my concern, is the lack of specifics about this issue suggests that they're just going to make a blanket statement, and because they don't want to deal with nuance, which is not yep. surprising coming from the, the purveyors of security theater that we have and i'm very skeptical about a lot of their techniques i think i i think arguably they don't make us safer and there are other things that they could do in terms of scanning and in terms of watching people in lines that could probably make us a lot safer than just saying check all of your laptops in but if they i've got a kindle oasis it is razor thin it's like and it's lighter than my phone but depending on what the rules are it won't matter because it's not it's it's bigger than a smartphone in some way it's not a smartphone and therefore it is potentially under this list i don't know it's it's very confusing and uh it seems badly thought out and quite frankly it seems like they're panicking based on some intelligence and you know we don't want terrorist attacks on flights we want them law enforcement to stop these guys before that they can do anything like that that's absolutely true but i have some skepticism about what this actually would accomplish it it also seems like they have little understanding of technology which is often a problem when you go through these kinds of things where it's like you know, having to have a discussion about what a computer is or whatever, like, you know, they <laughs> oh just have, God. it's like, it's like dealing with customer service agents, right? Where they have a script, like they have a very strict, like they have if the, if then statements and that's all that they're executing. And, on. and imagine if they have details about like what's allowed through and what's not, then you end up having those arguments like that Melissa's fablet suggestion, right? Like at what point mm-hmm. does that become an argument? Like, no, 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 this is a phone. Well, it looks like a tablet. No, it's just a big phone. Like, or can you have like an right, iPad, exactly. iPad mini and like put a sticker on it that says, I am a phone and <laughs> and be like no it's just a really big phone watch i'm gonna hold it to my ear and they, they don't want to have that kind of like confusion like kindles are okay but fire tablets are not okay like do they have a big list i get why they'd want to keep it simple but if the net result i mean this goes back to what we were saying about enhanced security 15 years ago which is at what point are we all just flying naked so i don't know it's a mess. What a mess. But it, I, I'll tell you this, too. It will suppress travel to the U.S. from Europe. That's bottom line, right? People will just not bother because 
it's too it's like too much if they can't get work done but um i would probably invest in like a, a battery pack for my phone and i guess i'd load all my books on my phone and the kindle app and watch movies on my phone screen and i guess i would survive it but i don't love it don't love it this has been a really great conversation. Before we go, I want to just remind everybody out there what's going to be happening in the week ahead. No, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can tell you Google I.O. is happening at Shoreline Amphitheater next week in Mountain View, California. I hope the weather's good because, yes, they do have parts of that outdoors. It's an outdoor amphitheater. They had sunscreen last year. I don't know what the weather forecast is for this year. Hopefully it's a little cooler in Mountain View for Google I.O. And so, of course, we will next week talk a lot about whatever news there is from Google's big developer shindig following hot on the heels of Microsoft's this week. But that brings us to the end of this edition of Download. I want to thank my guests again, Melissa Rio Frio. It has been so nice talking to you again. I hope you come back sometime. I hope so, too. It was fun. Yeah, it's, all, it's nice hearing your voice. It's it's uh, uh, We used to work together, and now I don't hear your voice very often, so it's nice to chat. I, re- I really appreciate it. And Dan Moore and I hear your voice all the time, but it was still... Even, even when we're not on podcasts together, Jason. I, I can report exclusively that Dan's first novel was delivered to my house as we recorded this episode. So congratulations. And Mazel Tov, I guess, Dan. Congratulations. Ooh, sure. That yeah. sounds like a weird coincidence, but yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. The Caledonian Gambit, available where books are sold. Check out Dan's science fiction novel, The Caledonian Gambit. Also, thank you to my nigh-invisible but quite audible producer, Stephen Hackett. My pleasure, as always. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. Until next week, we will be watching the headlines, so you don't have to. Bye, everybody. Bye.